Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Vlad, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. I have to admit that I've never imagined John the Baptist to be a pleasant person to be around. The Gospel of Luke speaks of John's mystical, godly birth when the announcement of his name allowed his father, Zachariah, to speak again. And I'm I'm just sure that Zachariah told this story whenever he could. Luke also says John was strong in the spirit and in the wilderness until the day he appeared to Israel. Using the Gospel of Luke and some historical context, it looks like John started baptizing and doing his prophet work in his late 20s. That's a long time to be in the wilderness. And the Gospel of Matthew says John appeared in the wilderness proclaiming. And I've always imagined proclamation to be done with a louder, more intense voice. For yelling, I've always imagined John the Baptist liked to yell. In the moment of our gospel, he was probably a little older than 30, being close in age to Jesus when he started his ministry. There are some descriptors for John that he wears camel skin and eats honey and locust, which I always thought was weird and gross as a child. And, but I know now that that shows his reliance on the wilderness he was raised in. People would go to John along the Jordan River to be baptized. Unlike Jesus, who we read about how he often goes to people, to the, uh, the injured, the uh, outcast, even the dead sometimes, if you wanted to see John, you had to go and find him. And what does John do when people come to him at the river? One of our stories says he calls the people who came to him a brood of vipers. Again, not something I think you say quietly. John is a prophet. And the prophets of the Old Testament had a distinct job, identifying and calling out Israel when they had derailed themselves from their covenants with the Lord and calling them to repent. When there was no repentance, the prophets spoke about how the Lord would bring about a world of justice, where corrupt leaders were removed from power and the downtrodden, poor, and outcast would be lifted up. This was, without a doubt, a difficult task to stand up against leaders and people of power to attempt to have the people right what could be an entire culture of wrong. And although not an Old Testament prophet, John seems to fit right into this. He's so vocal and mouthy. The beginning of our gospel today says that Herod had sent John to prison. A 30-something wild man accosting you with what's going wrong in the world and saying you're a viper does not sound like an enjoyable time for me. And yet people flocked to John People in need of hope flocked to this man who was courageous enough to speak out against injustice and provide a direction to hope. 
Now, even in prison, John had heard what the Messiah was doing. Uh, biblically, before today's passage, we have uh, stories of Jesus calling the 12 apostles and giving them a mission, Jesus healing a paralytic, bringing a girl back to life, healing the woman with hemorrhages, and some classic Jesus messages about how his followers will be persecuted because of his name. The healing miracles, in particular, sound like something that would spread like wildfire. So the news made it back to John, even in prison. And then he sends some of his followers to investigate this Jesus and asks, are you the one we've been waiting for? And in a, what I would call traditional Jesus fashion, uh, Jesus answers by saying the disciples should go and tell John that they've seen these miracles take place. And the Bible says the disciples just leave, taking that word with them. And then Jesus gets sassy to the people around him. What did you go into the wilderness to see? Someone in soft robes? And he's got a point. If the prophecy from Isaiah that John is fulfilling says to prepare the wilderness, there won't be anyone in soft robes or in a palace. Wilderness in the Bible was a mostly uninhabited place, a place of isolation and difficulty. And remember, John spent a large chunk of his life in that wilderness. And I can't help but wonder, why the wilderness? At first, this kind of confused me. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought about how, for me, being in creation helps me connect to God. While the wilderness might be uninhabited by humans, it's full of plants and animals, birds and lizards, and things that creep. I also think of almost every single parent review that would come into the summer camps I worked at that all said, we love our child is disconnected from all their technology when they're at camp, and they get to focus on God and their relationships. Well, John didn't quite have the technology we have today. Being in the wilderness offered him the opportunity, I would imagine, to focus solely on God. Jesus says that John is the fulfillment of the prophecy itself. And this is a prophecy that comes from Isaiah 43. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Can you imagine of all the people who could vouch for you that Jesus is one of them? That's pretty high praise. Now John, the antagonizing wild man, is a solid connection between the Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus says that John fulfills this prophecy in Isaiah, and Matthew 3.3 says he's the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke of. Even John's weird clothes of camel skin and a belt harken back to the prophet Elijah, who is described in 2 Kings wearing a similar clothes. And as Jesus validates that he is the one, John is more than a prophet. John is preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah. John is pointing towards Jesus. John is the embodiment of the hope of prophecies being fulfilled, 
a living example of what the Israelite prophets spoke of. There's about 400 years between the Old and New Testaments, which for the Israelite people was a lot of waiting, praying, and hoping for salvation. John the Baptist points towards Jesus, the Messiah, who also fulfills prophecies of salvation and hope, the one who saves us from death and sin through his resurrection. Hope itself is a living, dynamic thing and often encompasses other emotions. Courage, patience, optimism, gratitude, perseverance. My strongest brush with hope was after I broke my right ankle while working at a summer camp. I was unable to walk for a few months, but I knew as I waited for healing, as I struggled through the pain and relearning how to do things that once came so easily for me, that recovery would come. My hope lived in the patience and the reliance on God and others, particularly in the beginning. There were many nights where the pain was overbearing and my sudden loss of what I considered basic abilities, excuse me, basic abilities like walking were gone and I would lie in bed knowing the only thing I had in that moment was my hope. I had hope in the doctors and surgeons who fixed me up, putting plates and some pins in my bones I had hoped that my friends would remember I was tucked away in the basement of the dining hall and they would bring me breakfast. I had hoped that God was always with me, even in the slimy, windowless basement room I was in. And I had hoped that I know my body could repair itself. I found myself, quite literally, in the wilderness with nothing but God and some Tylenol to rely on. It was wilderness in the way that I was in the woods with minimal paved roads and even trails to hop along on my crutches. Uh, the camp I was at is decentralized, so we had 540 acres of activities around. And it was wilderness in a way that I had never broken any bones before. I didn't know where I was emotionally or mentally. Thankfully, my camp family rallied around me showing the grace and love of God through remembering to bring me, not breakfast, but I did get lunch that day, <laughs> driving me around in the camp ATV, looking the other way when I got fed up with people driving me around and started driving the ATV around with my left foot, changing the locations of my lessons because I couldn't get many places, and expecting me to teach a lesson the day I got back since, hey, my brain wasn't broken, might as well continue to do my job as chaplain. I am so thankful that hope had taken root in me during my recovery process. But as I learned, Christian hope covers all of the aforementioned emotions and somehow a little more, too. The salvation gifted to us through Jesus Christ makes our hope more joyful, more resilient, and more wonderful. Christian hope is the hope that God will do what God has promised. God's unconditional love for all people will bring about a world restored with justice, love, and peace. Christians hope for this world. <laughs>
There's tension in our Christian waiting. We wait for God and Jesus' second coming, but we are also tasked with preparing for that time. It can be odd to think about sometimes, but knowing God's plan for a peaceful, loving world, we can use that plan as a blueprint for how we act. I skimmed a bunch of psychology articles about hope for this sermon, and I was surprised that they all mentioned uh, two specific things. The first being uh, something bad or challenging has to happen for you to have hope, which I suppose makes sense. Something's got to be, there's got to be a bump in the road or something challenging or sad or difficult that causes us to need that hope. And the other was what differentiates hope from things like faith or optimism is that we humans have some effect on what we hope for. Well, this is purely from a psychological standpoint, it made me think about what we can do to work with God in our hope. While God is the one who will ultimately bring about this final world of paradise, there are things you can do as well. So what does your hope inspire you to do? Christians get to work with God to live out their hope. In Advent, as we wait and prepare for the birth of a tiny baby, we're also waiting and preparing for the second coming of Jesus. Christian hope is filled with the knowledge that God forgives us and we are able to forgive each other. Because we know what the kingdom of God looks like, we can work to live into that reality. The closest I've gotten to seeing what the kingdom of God is like is in the communities I was in while I worked at summer camps. Summer camp is a very large part of my faith story, if that's not clear yet. Every staff I was on was not without failures and shortcomings, but all the camp communities I've been a part of have shown unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, and grace when things go wrong, and they will go wrong, and the validation of each person and that they are in the image of God, all wrapped up in God's good creation. Was I in trouble when I accidentally drove the ATV through a group of campers on a nature hike? Yes, I was. Was I forgiven? Yes, I was. Our communities certainly weren't perfect, but because of each person, oh, because each person on staff had the hope of creating something akin to the kingdom of God, knowing each person had the responsibility to act with kindness, giving grace and support to the people around us, we were able to get to a fantastic, godly community together. As Christians, we are a gathering built on hope. We look to the cross, to the salvation gifted through Jesus Christ at every meeting in this sanctuary. There's a reason that the cross is front and center. We taste hope every time we take communion, remembering that Jesus invited you to a table where all means all, and we remember that he died for you and for all people. And we remember 
that we are invited to walk in his footsteps. So I ask again, what does your hope inspire you to do? Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.